Hey, welcome to Creative Block. <laughs> We're your host, Gene. And V. We interview people in the animation industry about their life, work, and hobbies while we doodle jam. We asked people on Twitter if they had specific topics they wanted us to discuss, as well as some drawing prompts. And today with us, we have Gia! Woohoo! Gia Ligamari! <laughs> That's me! <laughs> Tell us who you are and what you do. Oh, I wanted to remain in mystery. Um, I'm Gia. This is just a silent episode. It's silent. This is the end. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm Gia. I'm a storyboard artist in industry. I'm from New York. New York. And I moved here a couple of years ago to the land of fruits and nuts, California. Yeah. Nice. Tell us about Baby Gia. Baby Gia. Baby Gia and how you got your start and um, what kind of got you into art and animation and uh, all that good stuff. Perfect. Well, Baby Gia was a big fucking nerd. Um, here, let's do a little diagram. If we're talking yes. like infant Baby Gia. This is me. Um, I I mean, wow. my dad was an artist. My dad was a very well-known artist in Niagara Falls. He was a graphic designer and a photographer and a, like a visual artist. And so he had a reputation um, in town for doing a lot of like design for businesses and stuff. So I had big shoes to fill. So I've been an artist mm. ever since I was born, basically. Whether that came to me innately wow. or through the influence of... Uh, my dad, um, I just, I've been drawing, whenever someone asks me, how long have you been drawing? It's like literally since I was alive. Wow. Yeah. And so I'm from Niagara Falls, New York. It's, it's an interesting little town because you have like the tourism of the falls, but then like the rest of the town is, it's always been trying to figure out what it is. And so I'm just this, I went to like a small Catholic school. Um, so I was always like the artist that was my entire identity because in my, in my high school or even in my middle school, uh, and before that it, Catholic schools and private schools in town were like small, small schools There were a bunch of tiny Catholic schools around Niagara Falls. And so my school had like 120 kids Jesus. in the entire school. We only had two floors, maybe mm -hmm. two halls. We, our cafeteria was also like place to perform. Our gym was also the theater and my graduating class was 53 people. Yeah, that's that, nuts. Yeah. And then like going back to middle school, probably even smaller and elementary school, even, even smaller. <laughs> Did you basically know everybody in your class when you graduated? Oh, you knew everybody. And so like you wow. got, you got an identity pegged on you, like the sports kids, were sports kids oh. and the art kids were art kids and the drama kids were drama kids and it was kind of like an identity crisis thing where you know I grew up being the artist so then when there was like you know a school dance or something I was the one that was like well G is an artist so right you know, oh, she's gonna God. draw this up she's gonna make the decorations <laughs> what a curse so middle school Gia definitely a nerd because I kind of I delved into my identity of like I am an artist and I'm gonna draw and that's kind of when I discovered anime for sure and so you know uh -oh. makes me even more of an outcast <laughs> yeah. when like a school of a hundred kids maybe only five of them like anime um mm -hmm. and so I remember oh I had a little glitch there <laughs> not a great app <laughs> we do our best yeah <laughs> i remember getting into like 
all the Tokyo pop manga. There was a store called Media Play in my hometown, mm-hmm. and I think uh, it has a sister store that's called Suncoast Media. It's not in existence anymore, mm-hmm. but I remember there was a manga section there, and I would just like crawl into that nook, and I, d- I couldn't buy oh, all the man. manga because $10 was a lot of money per book at the time. Sure. And so I would just like sneak and read books all the time. And I was just, I was obsessed with anime as you, as you do as a middle school girl who likes to draw. And I remember specifically asking my mom because I went to a Catholic school. I was like, Hey mom, there's this book and it's about angels and I would like it for Christmas. And it was fucking clamp. uh, What's it called? (laughs) What is it called? Wish, wish. And she was like, Oh, it's about angels, huh? Okay, and it's a then good Christian like, book. yeah, so these are good Christian comics. <laughs> so, and so, and so, that's kind of like my gateway into manga. Was I, I got like, uh, Wish, and then when I could start buying things with my own money, I really liked like, because I grew up on the internet and kind of was antisocial. I liked anything that had to do with the internet, and so I loved Dot Hack. I loved the idea oh, of, of like transporting myself into a game that I'm playing online and I am that character and everything. So mm-hmm. I, it was a lot of like escapism into the books that I was reading. That and classic uh, Isekai, is that what it's called? Isekai? I'm not sure. Uh, probably. It's like, a, it's like the, yeah, the, the manga and anime where it like, you get transported to a fantasy world. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh-huh. That was my friggin' jam. It's like all the, sh- it's the rage now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, funny. and, I think the other thing was I went to a public school until fifth grade because I got bullied so bad in elementary school for no reason other than I was like a wimpy little like kid. Yeah. That sucks. And people, people, I remember I got invited to a birthday party just so this girl's 15 year old cousin could beat me up. So then... What a piece of shit. <laughs> so like I was really antisocial. Cartoonishly evil. <laughs> really. And so that kind of led me to like i don't know escape into the internet find internet communities that were of my interest i think all of my best friends at the time in like sixth and seventh and eighth grade were my online friends in fact i even specifically remember writing in my diary a list of my friends and one side was friends in real life and one side was friends online and my online friends list like went for two pages and my friends in real life page was like (laughs) two real life friends yeah yeah. And so, you know, I got really into like Oikaki communities. I got oh, yeah. really into Doodle Chat communities and I I don't know. I think I I think that doing that really kickstarted uh it was like foreshadowing for my career in the future because a lot of people that I met online when I was baby Gia are people that helped facilitate my career later on or people that I work with now or people that like now that I've moved to California, I've met them and we've become close friends, which is just, I never would have imagined that. So we go from like the littlest, wimpiest, getting beat up nerd to like Mm -hmm. the most reclusive online artist girl in class nerd and then like so on and so forth. It's the tale of baby Gia. Have we ever brought up like the Okaki wars and stuff on here? It might be the first time. Oh my God. That was like my genesis. Cause yeah, that was like a big thing for a lot of people. A lot of millennial artists, I think. Cause it, it, it kind of stopped being a thing. Yeah. But man, that's like a whole generation. <laughs> that grew totally. Up that. So uh, <laughs> my, my 
how did I? We should start? probably explain it. Maybe we should explain of it because it's like I don't. I don't think everyone automatically knows what we're talking about. Yeah. So, maybe so I feel like honestly, Oikaki is the one thing that pushed me to buy a tablet because up until oh, then yeah. I was doing traditionally and sharing on forums. Yeah. And stuff. Mm -hmm. But Oikaki, since you had to do it all on the computer on that web page, mm -hmm. you I started with the mouse, but then I was just like. That was just... Me too. I started with the mouse too. And I have such a funny story about that. So like, it was kind of known that not everybody could afford a tablet at the time, right? And so mm -hmm. my dad was a big uh, Mac guy. He always had the newest Mac stuff. So eventually I ended up getting a drawing tablet like in the time of me being online and stuff. And so I'm drawing on these Oikaki forums, which by the way, I'm going to stop myself and explain what they are before I get too far into the story. Um, Oikakis were forums, Japanese drawing board forums. And basically you could only, you ha when you opened up the drawing app portion of it, you had uh, X amount, like you had all the time in the world to make it, but you could only make it in that browser page. If you close that browser page, you lost your progress. So like people- I mean, would... that's basically what we're doing now, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but I the... guess it's not completely forgotten. Not exactly, but it wasn't that you were dry drawing in live time together. It was, draw you drew on your own and right. then you posted it and then people could reply to it in a form style. And that post itself of the picture right. would exist in like a feed. So very, very, mm -hmm. very early drawing social media. Yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so- Yeah. So back to my story about uh, of of mice and tablets. So my dad mm -hmm. gets me my first tablet, and previous to that, we were all kind of like in it together. We were like, "Yeah, I'm drawing with a mouse." Oh, you're getting so good at drawing with a mouse. And then I secretly started drawing with a tablet, and everyone's like, "Oh my Ooh. god, you draw so fast! I'm so, so impressed sneaky. with you." Yes, and I was so like living. I was like living for the the fame of being a fast drawer that I didn't tell anyone. And then the drama was oh, the drama was that someone I told someone that I didn't draw with a mouse that I had a tablet, and I got fucking exposed. They were like. <gasps> you don't you were lying about drawing with a mouse you draw with a tablet and like everyone got on my case about it and it was the drama of the oikaki for that week and it was so silly like looking so back on it drama. it meant so much much to middle school me but so silly <laughs> yeah i know it's so funny i mean i kind of get it though like in the way that like you know when you're young and like all your friends and all your community is all online because mm -hmm. for me like I have a similar experience, mostly because when I moved from France to the US, like, well, I didn't speak English really well mm. at all. And I wasn't familiar with the culture, the American culture. So it was really hard to make friends. And I spent a lot of time online because like, that's where I could still mingle with like the French yeah. community. Like I would draw with like the French people <laughs> through mm -hmm. like uh, Oikakis and all that jazz. And it's true that there is, there was this thing where it's like, well, tablets are expensive. And it was kind of <laughs> like the beginning of that technology too. Like, For sure, yeah. Yeah, no yeah they weren't that great. You you couldn't get a Wacom at all because those were like so pricey. And yeah, there was like this thing where it's like a couple people, I mean, like in the community I was in, like a couple people had a tablet, but it, but it was kind of like, it was... <laughs> They're kind of like the they're not like the rich kids because they were like much <laughs> older than me but it was kind of yeah, like well yeah. they're a different crowd yeah yeah you know yeah. they're a different crowd so like when you're like part of the little guys you know like with your mouse and trackpad <laughs> mm -hmm. the mouse scrubs you had to earn you had to earn those likes 
You had to work yeah. real hard. Well, I even remember the claim to fame was you could see how many hours was spent on a piece. It would track it in the oh, post. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, and that's so true. people would have like 13 hours invested in this like anime OC and you'd be like, oh my God, you spent so much time on it. And then the thing to do was leave your browser open for a day so it looked like you spent what? 24 hours on a piece. I know, like the things that people did. Well, just I to... spent a day on this. That's not even good. That's like, that's that's not... I know. Your output is terrible. You're being, you're drawing so slow. <laughs> yeah. And now we are, we're paid to draw as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. And the boards you were on, could you like replay? Because I remember the one I was on, you could press play. You could. Damn. Like, yes, you, I do remember yeah. that. Okay, so specifically the first Oikaki board that I was on, it was from a website called RowdyRough.net. And it was a, an all Powerpuff Girls themed board. So it started out with me, like, you had to make a Powerpuff Girls OC. Oh and boy. I, oh my God, I'm getting all of these memories flowing back to me now. <laughs> I had this OC that was like, I found an image of Chi from Chobits online. I had no idea what it was. It was too mature, so I wasn't allowed to read it, but I was fucking enamored with her. So mine was literally like Powerpuff Girls, Chobits. And for some reason, red, white, and blue. So I was like this weird American flag, Powerpuff Girl anime concoction. Hell yeah. It was so bad, <laughs> but so Fun, earnest yeah. and sweet. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah, that's great. So, so you spent your whole childhood on Okaki forms. Mm -hmm. um, and then, and then uh, yeah, kind of what took you forward? Honestly, I think like going into high school and, and you know, then we had actual art classes that kind of let me explore what I wanted to do um, and my art teacher Mrs. Katz uh, was Mrs. Katz. Mrs. Katz was very very supportive of me it was just another one of those things where it's like you're in a school of 200 people and I imagine from the perspective in, of an art teacher like oh this kid she's she loves art I'm going to like <laughs> support her and mm -hmm. and build her up and so um, she kind of let me do whatever I wanted to do. And I remember one of my first big pieces was like this anime rendition of Alice in Wonderland. Cause Fuck, I had a whole yeah. like Alice in Wonderland phase. Oh, of course you did. Yeah. And didn't, didn't we all? <laughs> so fast forward to my sophomore year, uh, my whole identity is being an artist, but then I got interested in musicals for first time ever. I listened to, I don't know where or when, but I listened to avenue q and it blew my oh, mind boy. that you were allowed to like be dirty and swear in musicals mm -hmm. and and for some reason that unlocked like my ability to sing i never really was a singer before that but then i got really into it when i got into that musical huh. so coincidentally they had a change in uh who ran the the whatchamacallit the drama club and so the deacon and his wife uh, deacon dan and his wife fran ran the drama club and they were doing the auditions and people realized I was fucking singing all the time and they were like you should audition for the musical never thought to do it never and it's so like different than my personality now where I'm just musicals 24 7 mm -hmm. it's hard to think back on a time where I, I wasn't doing musicals and so I um another musical I was really into was I found Sweeney Todd and I got obsessed with it because I was all about mm -hmm. blood and guts and horror uh you know as an angsty teen is as you do yeah yeah so I go in and we're in a Catholic school, so we're auditioning. I remember specifically auditioning in the chapel, looking at, like, Jesus Christ on the cross in front of me, trying not to make eye contact with the uh, the director. 
who's saying what is this on my drawing? What the fuck is that shit? I'm drawing a bunny. I'm expressing oh, myself. And okay. so I'm singing By the Sea from Sweeney Todd for my very first audition. And oh my God, I was like shaking to the bone nervous because oh, I never no. sang in front of someone before. And yeah. that week I got the lead in the musical. And that was something oh, that nice. I was never expecting. But that kind of unleashed like chapter two of Gia. So now I'm balancing. Chapter two. We need like a break here. Two. Like a little. <laughs> yeah. Chapter two. Turn the page. Yeah. So I I got the lead in the musical and I wasn't expecting that. It was Once on this Island, which in hindsight, probably not appropriate for a tiny Catholic school of like mostly Caucasian yeah. people to be performing. Sure. But nevertheless, I got to play Team Moon and my best friend who lives out here with me now was playing the God of Water, Agwe. And that that kind of just changed my whole trajectory on, on what I wanted. It confused me a little bit because now I'm like performing arts. I'm I'm decently good at this. Like I really enjoy being on stage. Once I got pr- past that first opening night, I don't know. It just meant so much to me because you. St- I spent all this time not having friends and having these very niche interests. And even like my best friends at the time try as they might to be interested in, you know, the, the video games and anime that I loved. They It just wasn't like their jive. But then we're in drama club. My best friend, uh, Natalie, at the time, she was in drama club with me. Um, my soon-to-be best friend who lives out here with me now, Anthony, he was in drama club with me. And now I have this community of people that completely support me. We're there at late hours. We're doing all this stuff together. And it actually kind of uh, it started impeding on like my artist personality, you know? Oh. So here I am going to rehearsals every night after school and rehearsals, like in high school, rehearsing is a big deal. So you're going to go to 10 PM, like whether your mom wants to pick you up then or not, like it meant a lot to be a part of a school production. And so I was using my art class time to nap and it was, it was like my art teacher would get pissed, but then I would spend, you know, extra time on the weekend doing my art projects. But theater started to mean so much to me that I was kind of putting art on the back burner and I remember specifically in 11th grade there was one half of 11th grade where I filled up like three sketchbooks and I was getting really into the groove of it and I look back on those sketchbooks now and they're kind of some of my favorite stuff I did in high school but then the second half of that no sketchbooks finished and it all that was kind of like my tilt into I want to be a performer. I want to be a Broadway star, like no scope of the world. I live in this tiny town in Western New York. I think I'm going to be a Broadway star now. Like, and, well, <laughs> you got to start somewhere. I mean, yeah, everyone starts from a small town with a dream. Yeah. So. And so I was I was just this really conflicted, super artsy, half theater girl, half anime nerd it's so common now to love those things and be accepted for them now, but you have to understand like in 2005 to 2007, there, there really wasn't a space for that to be like a cool person. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think that gets talked about enough. Yeah. Like we, we survived the, the culling. For sure. Like it would now. Yeah. Like you go on TikTok and it like corpse is putting fucking anime saying, Ooh, woo. And his I like, know. Horror, horror raps. And it's like, no, it was not cool. Well, you have Eshniko, bless her soul, oh, yeah. who is like the yes. embodiment of a sexy anime girl. And she is a yes. hyper pop icon in music now. Yeah. And, and I think I appreciate her so much because she is the essence of middle school Gia. 
like yeah. the essence of everything I thought being a hot 20 something it was when I was 12 and then she's embodying it and now I'm 28 mm-hmm. and I'm like well I guess I got the hot part down <laughs> you can embody it too you have you have a job and money and exactly all the resources exactly and so going back to high school Gia she she graduated high school with this half and half dream of like I want to perform I want to draw and now because I'm you know in the school of you have one identity I really I don't know I I didn't know what my place was Mm. and it didn't help that our guidance counselor uh another thing about my high school was it was a college preparatory catholic school and so in my senior year we got this like four-day week uh, implemented where we didn't have to come in on Mondays. And then in senior year, uh, you're kind of like talking to the guidance counselor, telling her, I want to apply to this college. And then she helps facilitate that. And so I go to her and I say, I want to go to Cal Arts and SBA and Ringling because like my little baby mind couldn't conceive of any other options. They, they were art schools and I wanted to go to them. And she was like, mm, maybe you should do a job that you can make money in. And that was, that was kind of like the consensus at the time is you're not going to make money doing art. You're definitely not going to make money doing theater. And as a college preparatory school, we want you to make money, I guess. Even though they knew they were throwing us into like student debt for the rest of our lives. So fucking stupid. And so she got me convinced that I needed a communications major. Like I needed to be, in graphic design and communications and okay it it kind of broke me because i was like i i don't want to do that that sounds boring you know and but on the flip side of that you have like i go back to saying my dad was really well known for all of his photography and graphic design and his his drawings and stuff like that um and i'm kind of like I don't want to say living in the shadow of it because that's not exactly how I felt. But I was like, I'm my I'm my father's daughter. I want to be an artist like him. And so my dad being like this fabulous jack of all trades. By the time I was in senior year, I was photographer and leader of the yearbook committee. Like anything that was creative, I was doing it. So I was doing that. I was doing theater. I was doing, you know, all my art things. Basically, I got the whole archetype of like artist they just put everything into me that like if you could create it you're gonna do it because you're Gia and we only have 53 people in this class (laughs) (laughs) um and then I and on top of like trying to remember lines for a production and stuff so when this guidance counselor was like yeah mm, I think you should go to like University of Buffalo for graphic design because people make money in graphic design I was like no (laughs) that stinks Mm -hmm. but because of that you know i'm what 16 17 at the time i'm literally a child so that really discouraged me and when i graduated high school i ended up i didn't really know what to do so i ended up going to the community college in niagara Mm -hmm. and that being said like my my brother takes me to go sign up for my classes and they're like, what do you want your major to be? And it's this moment where it's like, dun, dun, like pick your yeah, major. So much pressure. It is. And so like, I'm looking at the sign up sheet and I'm like, okay, majors, majors. Okay. Well, I can't do fine arts because they said I'm not going to have a future in it. I can't do theater because they said I'm not going to have a future in it. And I'm going down the Jesus. list and I'm like, I, I don't want to do like 
I don't want to do just regular undecided or whatever. It, and, and, and and like my brother's next to me and he's like tapping his foot waiting for me, for me to pick my major. It's like this big moment. Yeah, the fucking the rest of your life. Yeah. <laughs> oh and so I picked, um, what was it called? Oh, okay. Some background story for my father. He was a professor at this community college for a while. And uh, not at the time when I was signing up for classes, but he was part of the digital media department. Um, so there was a digital media major and it kind of encompassed graphic design and um, pro tools and Photoshop, like literally anything that was on the computer, it, it mm -hmm. was a major for that. And so he actually taught uh, a class for Macs when they were first invented. It was pretty cool. But mm -hmm. now I'm like, what is my identity? What am I gonna do for the rest of my life? Well, my father taught in digital media. I'll pick that major. I'm like, okay, I will fulfill my father's legacy. I will be the next Ligamari artist of Niagara Falls. Fulfill the legacy. Exactly. <laughs> and that's what I went with. And immediately, miserable. <laughs> mm. Yeah, college, my college, first college semester, I took like graphic design class. I took a video editing class. I thought for a while that I was going to be like a film person and, and, and make movies and stuff. But I still, I had no scope of what the world was. I didn't really know what careers were available to me. I didn't know about internships. I didn't even think that animation was ever going to be a possibility in my life. Like that was just not in my mind. I just thought it's a recurring thing for a lot of people. Yeah, I think, for it a lot was of just our guests. Yeah. like starving artist was the way. You know, yes. and so um, I was like, but like looking back on it, it makes no sense because starving artist was the way, but I picked digital media. Like, what the fuck was I going to do? <laughs> Make a, yes. and, and YouTube wasn't really like the thing that it is now. So it's not like I was like, oh, I'm going into communications and marketing to become a YouTube star. It was like, <laughs> Is that a thing now? People do that? Oh, totally. Directionless oh, chaos. Yeah. Luckily... I was able to take some fine arts classes and luckily my friend Anthony, who I had gone to high school with, went to the same college as me, but he was a theater major. And so um, again, I'm in this like two wolves situation where I'm starting to take fine arts classes and saying to myself, oh, this is actually like for me, I should be in these classes. But then the theater department, um, their productions were open to every major. And so in my second semester I took I think in my second semester I was taking my first like life drawing studio like proper studio courses but then a production of Little Shop of Horrors was happening and I auditioned for it again just out of like the pure joy of wanting to sing on stage not me wanting to necessarily be like a theater major or anything but again I got the lead I got uh, Audrey and so mm -hmm. I'm finding joy in performing and I'm finding joy in fine arts. And it's this like total identity crisis where I don't really, I, like I don't really know where I belong. That was my whole, that was whole, like my whole thing in, um, in community college. That's really interesting actually to hear that like you had tied your identity to um, like belonging in like cliques, I guess, which is a very, yeah. um, which is something that has always kind of like for me as like a foreigner uh always kind of like surprised me and probably never really quite understood being in the u.s it was like how strong the idea of like clicks uh is yeah. oh totally 
Yeah, it sucks. It's really not something in Europe. I mean, at least in France, like mm. uh, you can. It's easy for like the goth kids to hang out with like a jock, or because I think school is just school. Because I think here's the thing. I guess like in France, we don't have school. You just learn. That's it. If you want to do theater, if you want to do art, if you want to do any of those other extracurriculars you you're not doing it at school so i guess maybe like the identities are not as much yeah interesting Mm -hmm. which is really interesting because it's like obviously i was struggling with other identity things like being in another country but yeah yeah, it's really interesting that like here that would be so such a strong oh my god it was so ingrained in high school to the point where like i mentioned before our our gymnasium was also the theater stage. And so it was this ongoing battle between sports teams and theater where they were funding sports teams, but not funding our theater department. So everything was uh, out of pocket from Deacon Dan and Fran. Like they, out of, yeah. Aw, he passed away a couple years ago and Rest in peace, uh, I'm going on a tangent, but I remember coming back after my first semester of college and he was like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, I want to, I think I want to work in animation. He's like, what, like Disney, Pixar? And he was a little skeptical <laughs> of me. And then I, I didn't have an answer at the time because I didn't really know. But now I'm working in animation. And sometimes I'm like, I want to, I want to like go into the afterlife and be like, see, Deacon Dan, you doubted me. <laughs> or I did it. Didn't. <laughs> you ass. But uh, yeah, it was an ongoing war uh, between the sports teams and the theater thing. It was like our identity to hate the sports kids because they would put their equipment backstage where we were building sets. And oh, so it was God. like this turf war. And you, if you were friends with like a theater person, you were on their side. If you're friends with a sports person, you're on That's their side. Funny. And it just like Jackson this- Jackson <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It never ends. Mm-hmm. The, the ongoing war. <laughs> Normies and artists. Yeah. That's interesting. So, uh, so yeah, for a while you weren't even, it sounds like you weren't even really thinking of art as like your main career thing. Not at all. And then when did that switch happen? Like when did okay. you decide to kind of follow that again? Yeah. So here's another subplot to the Gia childhood. Being mm-hmm. a kid online all the time, um, you know, you evolve from Oikakis to then I think around, I want to say like 2008-ish time was like the era of DeviantArt for me. I want to say from like 2007 to 2000, excuse me, 11 was the Gia of DeviantArt era. And in that time, it was also coincidentally when the Cartoon Network block was like the strongest. I feel like the strongest uh, Cartoon Network block was when you know, Chowder, Flapjack, it was still cartoon, cartoon. It was just right before, for some reason, they decided to go into live action. But I mean, you even see as a testament now, all of the shows today come from people that worked on those shows at that time. Yes. And so I loved Flapjack. It just like touched me in a way that like it got my sensibilities. It was weird. It was like, I don't know. I just, it really, I really responded to it. And so on DeviantArt, I think Thurup was pretty active. Thurup Van Orman, who created the show. And I remember like little baby me drawing Flapjack fan art and he acknowledged it. And it was like the best day of my life. Like mm-hmm. I wrote, I have the sketchbook still where I wrote, one of my pieces <laughs> and, uh the funny thing about this interview is i remember for uh co- for community college 
in one of my digital media classes, we had to interview someone and I very like nerdily asked him if I could interview him. And that's just in the chambers for life. Like I'm never releasing that. So embarrassing. Hi, Thera. Mm. That was the most embarrassing moment of my life was interviewing he him. He definitely listens to this. Oh, <laughs> well, someday. No, yeah. You should get Thera up on the show. Yeah, yeah that'd not? be awesome. I remember interviewing him in college, but this, I'm, I just kind of started poking at him as a high schooler and was like uh, asking advice, sending him my art. And he was so gracious and like so kind to respond and give me advice and stuff. And it was just one of those things where like, I didn't know it at the time, but he, he was one of like the best people for me to meet because I stayed in touch with him through college. And I continually was like, I'm starting to think I want to, do art for a career like what say you about animation and again just years after years of him being so gracious with information and finally it was a combination of I was finishing the program which was just an associates program at at NCCC my community college and so I was like of this mind of okay I finished a production and I really liked it I'm starting to finish my my associates here for digital media, but this just doesn't it doesn't feel right. And then I was starting to talk to Therup more about animation and he made it really sound like a possibility. So then it's like phase three of Gia in school. I'm starting to talk to professors in my fine arts classes about art schools and transferring to an art school. And at the same time, kind of just like, you know, thinking about my identity as a performer. Um, and then I have Thurup in my ear talking to me about productions and stuff. And ultimately, I was like, okay, I'm going to art school next. Like, I've done this college thing. I've gotten a couple gen ed credits. I'm starting to understand the lay of the land. And one of my, I guess it's not a regret about college, but like one of my gripes with the college experience is I essentially learned how to go to college by going to college. And I still carry that with me to this day. It's like, I would have done so much so differently. Well, yeah, but that's that's just kind of part of the process. But I am who I am today because of it. Yeah, it's always like, can't really help that. And so, oh, for sure. I don't regret any of it now because I'm really happy, you know, with where I am. But definitely wish I could have optimized the experience. <laughs> and yeah, so, sure. anyway, being in fine arts classes, I... I had teachers that were like, you should go to Ringling, you should go to SVA, you should go to XYZ expensive school. Mm. And so I had it in my mind, I, I, you know, I'm going to go to CalArts because that's where animation people go, but then didn't even apply. I, I think I don't remember why I didn't apply there. Maybe I felt intimidated or something. I had, I had the same thing happen to me and I don't remember why. I think I just like <laughs> realized how expensive it was. And I was like, fuck that. The universe <laughs> deterred you. It's, like, it's really And even then I was like, I can't. Yeah. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to put myself in debt. Well, you know, I, th- this goes into the experience that I had. Uh, basically, a professor of mine convinced me to apply for SAIC in Chicago. And so I did and I got in. Nice. And it, it it was like really exciting, but SAIC is a very like it is like the artsiest of art schools of so expensive to build your own curriculum, and they were all about interdisciplinary, and that was really enticing to me because I didn't know what I wanted, so I wanted to go somewhere where it was okay to not know what you wanted. But in the summer before I was supposed to go there, it it became very clear to me while I'm working like this fast food job at a Dairy Queen and struggling to get by 
and, and, and out of like my meager savings paying for down payments for dorms and, you know, this to hold your place in class and, and just paying all this money. And, and ultimately because I'm essentially still a child, not understanding the depth of student loans when it hit me that I wasn't going to be able to afford the school. Cause I, again, like I applied for scholarships and stuff, but, and I got some, but I, it just, the calculations in my head didn't come together that like, there was no way that I was going to afford it because even my government aid wasn't going to help me. I think around like July of the summer before I was supposed to transfer to SAAC, I was like, I'm not going to be able to even afford this or move to, to Chicago. And so I withdrew. Yeah completely liquidated my deposits they wouldn't give me any money back so like little gia with no savings left with and not even going to that school i was just i was particularly lost damn and at the same time you know i'm so i go down this path to see if visual art will be successful and ultimately i have to withdraw before my excuse me from a program before i even get into it and then I'm trying to pursue community college or, or excuse me, community theater at that point, mm-hmm. um, because I'm like, I also love theater. And so there was this production of Suzical at like a pretty popular production company in our in our town. And I auditioned for it. And here I am. I'm like, I've gotten the lead in high school in every production. I've even gotten mm-hmm. the lead mm-hmm. in community college. And I'm not even a theater major. I'm going to get a lead role. And I didn't. And it fucking broke my mind. I was like, how is this possible? I am good. I, I, I don't have anything left. Like what am, what am I to do? I'm an ensemble character. And like my whole summer was devoted to being this ensemble fucking who jungle creature in a Suzical production. (laughs) And like my best friend, Anthony was a lead role. And my best friend, Julie was a lead role. And I was like, and they were both in Little Shop with me, so it was even more discouraging because I I just, it was like this huge fall from grace. I couldn't go to the college I wanted to to pursue visual art. I couldn't even get a role in a theater company, which was supposed to be like the next level up. And then I also started to real, realize how much of like reputation and politics game theater was, where it's like you have to know someone and you have to be uh. BFFs with someone. So like I, everything, yeah. oh, totally. I was lost. I was absolutely lost and ended up taking a semester off to kind of get my bearings. And so I'm working at DQ. DQ, by the way, is such an integral part of my identity. I worked at a Dairy Queen in between college times and throughout for seven years. It was my first job out of high school and my job for the rest of time, it seemed like. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I'm working at DQ, absolutely like obliterated by my failures. And a friend of mine from college, or excuse me, a friend of mine from high school mentions that they are going to Fredonia, SUNY Fredonia, and that SUNY Fredonia has a animation program. And don't quote me on this, but I think SUNY Fredonia is uh, one of the only state schools in New York to have an animation program, which made it totally appealing because any other animation program was at a fine arts school. And usually those are private schools and they're just like money upon money upon money. It's just so much money. Mm-hmm. But with SUNY Fredonia, it's it's a liberal arts school with an art program that had animation illustration is what the program was called. And so that being said, like I was able to get the financial aid to go there it, it just became this like big prospect for me. And so I put together a portfolio 
like worked really hard on it, applied in the semester that I had off, and then I got in. And so now I'm like, okay, chapter XYZ, I don't even know what Gia chapter we're at now, (laughs) going to a real college. It'll be my first time living away from home. I'm, you know, it's just going to be this new thing where I'm just pursuing art. At the time in my head, I was like, I, I quit theater. Theater isn't for me. I, I rebuke the theater. I'm all visual arts now. I'm going to, I'm going to work in animation and I'm going to make it happen. And so in the spring of 2014, I ended up uh, moving to Fredonia, which was about an hour away from home, but it, it, kind of was like the kickstart of independence that I didn't know that I needed. Mm. And that was really special to me because Fredonia is this tiny farm town in the middle of like Western New York, kind of just surrounded by fields and fields and fields of farms. And you're just kind of isolated there to, to focus on your art and to, to be a part of community. I think I thrived the most there because I was living there and figuring out my identity as an artist and finally having a goal. Like animation is now my goal for a BFA and we're going to go from there. That new college years. Like how do you pronounce the name of it again? I heard Oh yeah, SUNY Fredonia. Um and SUNY SUNY stands for State University of New York. So, oh, very okay. official. What was nice about my time at Fredonia was um, because I, like, even though I was in an animation illustration program, even that became a new identity crisis for me because was I animation or was I illustration? You know what I mean? Like, was I comics or was I uh, moving media? Um, And so it was a big experimental phase for me. And and I'm by experimental, I mean, like, very experimental, like, very... Mm abstract animation um very like using physical painterly media and bringing it into after effects and you know like making more or less stop motion you know paper doll puppet animation but digitally i had an entire series that you know i'm in this phase of my life in college where how old was i i think i was 21 when i when i transferred so i was a little bit older than a lot of the other students there which also played into my identity crisis because now you're getting into like i'm trying to pursue a career but i'm too old now which is so mm. not <laughs> real it's not fucking real like 30 is beautiful yeah. no you're it's never too late yeah. but i was the 21 year old in a class of 18 year olds and i didn't know who i was again so and old <laughs> fucking fucking old grandma over here in class yeah grandma Gigi. midlife crisis at 21 <laughs> yeah <laughs> gotta take my dentures out before i go oh, to the bar gotta take my dentures to draw <laughs> but i i was just you know living alone for the first time figuring out my identity in terms of art, figuring out who I was as as an adult. And so I, you know, I had animation in the back of my mind, still was in touch with Thurup, but still didn't really have a scope of what I work in today. And and animation to me was just this abstract concept that again, I coming from a small town, moving to an even smaller town to go to college, it just didn't seem in reach yet so I got really experimental I got really into 
what, what was I into? I, like the illustration aspect was really appealing to me because we had a lot of classes where we were experimenting with washes and different pens and just getting really good at the technical skill. Yeah, that's cool though. Yeah, for sure. And bless her, Jill Johnston was the head of de- the department and she like believed in me so dearly and um, I really appreciate her support. She was another teacher that I guess kind of like saw what I was about and let me explore um, in whatever way was like best for me. And I, I think like those are the best teachers where they see your strength and they just kind of encourage you to, to work on that. And so yeah. she, she kind of let me like take my ideas and run with it. And we, <laughs> we had this thing at our college, it was called the 24 hour review. And so for your, when, if you started as a freshman for your sophomore year, everything that you worked on for the year before that was put up for review. And if you passed the review, that meant you were eligible to be a BFA. Um, If you did not pass, you could only be a BA. Um, And BFA meant you had access to like more classes, different programs that were more art centric. BA meant you didn't. It was very weird and kind of like created this, I don't know what the word for it would be, like a class system of like, oh, I'm a BFA or I'm a BA. So like a superiority thing. I don't Mm -hmm. know. Basically, it got into a lot of young kids' heads that like this was the make or break moment. And it really did cause kids to drop out of art programs because... I don't know. They just, it was like, are you really going to put in the effort or are you just here because you think it's an easy major essentially? And so, you know, I remember setting up for it and I have all of these pieces of art and you had to like set up a room in a time slot. I remember preparing for mine the night before at like three in the morning and I was in the dorms in one of the common spaces, sweating, like putting everything out in the order that I thought it should go in the room to make sure it was just right. I remember that night, like I ripped one of my pieces, I was sleep deprived and I also caught my toe in a heavy door and so like blood is everywhere. Oh God. (laughs) Like I was just a mess, blood, sweat and tears to the max. And then I go and do my review the next day and you had, I think you had to like write an essay before that the judges on your panel would read and the judges were professors in the entire department. Also like not just professors in animation illustration, but say like a photography professor or art history because they wanted a breadth of people to observe your work. And then you had to give a presentation to the panel and be asked all these questions. It was like fucking American Idol for being a BFA. <laughs> Bizarre, yeah. It's it was Bizarre. it was. I'm like having war flashbacks just talking about it. But then I do my presentation and they ask me questions and it goes over as best as I could hope it uh, to go. And then I remember you're waiting for your score. Like you had to go to the counselor a week later to get your score and she would hand it to you on a piece of paper that was upside down. So like no one around you would see it. And so I tiptoe into that office and I go to get my paper and she solemnly slides it to me. And then she flipped it over and she's like, yours is really good. And I got, Uh. I got a 10 out of 10 from every professor. Nice. And that was like a really proud moment for me. And it kind of activated like, oh, I am in the right place. Like you're, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm starting to become, I don't know, like the most Gia I had ever been. (laughs) And then a funny story about that is I remember being in my life drawing class the next day and all these people are like, 
nobody ever gets a 10. It's the hardest to get a 10, this and that. And I'm still the new girl. I'm like this nobody 21 year old, like old lady in the back of the class. And even the model, the nude model was like, yeah, I've been here for 15 years and no student has ever gotten all 10s. And then me in the back of class was like- they all suck. <laughs> <laughs> me in the back of class was like i got all tens and just like a movie everyone's head like snapped around and looked Fuck. at me and they were like you're uh. lying and i was like no i really got all tens um but that Gotta was make some enemies <laughs> that was like validation for me i guess to say like you're doing it you're in the right place it, yeah you didn't know it at first but you just proved yourself so you know focus and and it's gonna be okay yeah and so I don't know that that started to activate like the right path where I'm in my second semester. I'm taking actual animation classes at that point. Um, I'm learning more about the industry. And again, remember like 2014, even though it doesn't feel like that long ago, the internet community for animation absolutely was not the same. In fact, feels like I don't... ago. <laughs> it feels like a long fucking time ago. It doesn't, it didn't even exist. It doesn't exist mm -hmm. the way, like the resources that everybody puts out now where, where you have like the gum road, how to storyboard uh, that Megan yeah, made or, yeah, yeah. you know, that there's just so many resources now. Absolutely non-existent. I maybe had totally. like blogger posts from people that were in animation, like from 2006 talking about the pipeline of, I don't know whatever it just yeah, wasn't there was like venture brothers ones i remember and i was like gold <laughs> it was like oh my god so yeah. i think uh yeah one of the creators uh, i think it was jackson public he would post just stuff from it and i was like wow this is how cartoons are. yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and so i'm i'm really trying to learn about like animation through the grapevine my only resource at the time truly was probably you know keeping in contact with uh i almost said flapjack <laughs> Flapjack himself, I, uh, keeping in contact with Thurup and just kind of mm, updating him on my journey, like showing him an animation that I worked on. And again, so gracious, always like so proud of you. You're growing up so fast, like this kind mm -hmm. of stuff. And then he started again. It's just this like little devil on my shoulders. Like you can work in animation, you know, like that is literally possible. And it just again, the small town mentality is like you're never going to escape until you make that big mm -hmm. jump. And the big jump was non-existent for me at the time. And so I, I don't know, I, I was kind of like trying to teach myself about the industry from what I could access. And we were learning, we were learning, to be fair, we were learning things that were more like fine art structure and experimentally structured in animation. So we didn't necessarily have storyboarding classes. Um, it was more like the assignments that we got um, in our illustration classes, you know, there was like a three week chunk where you got to choose. And so you would say, I'm going to do a comic that's five pages or I'm going to do a storyboard that's, I don't know, like five panels. But they were like really intricately, excuse me, intricately designed panels um, that it's just like nothing like what the scope of storyboarding actually was. So I still didn't really have an idea in my mind of pursuing this as a career mm -hmm. and then in my third semester they came up with a class it was, it, i think this class is pretty much the reason where i where why i pivoted right to working in uh animation like entertainment where we are now so three departments music which is very interesting that music got involved 
mm-hmm. especially because Fredonia is more known as a school for music um, and less known for anything else, even though like all of the other departments are pretty strong. <clears throat> so music got involved, graphic design got involved, and animation got involved. And it was this, I guess it was just kind of like an elective art course where the animation class was paired off into four groups and we had uh, fairy tales assigned to us or just generally short stories. So my group, the orange team, (laughs) got assigned uh, the most dangerous game. And then a graphic design class had uh, the same amount of groups and they were given, you know, the colors of the team. So we had the orange graphic designers and then we had a composer from a music class and they were assigned to a color of a team. And so They were like, we want you to get the full experience of like a pipeline, essentially, uh, where you're making the animation, you're collaborating to make the, you know, the design of it and the logo and stuff. And you're also collaborating with a music person to get a soundtrack in there. And that's where I met some of like my friends for life from college, people that I grew with really, really uh, fast as an artist and, and kind of just got these goals that were we want to work in animation we're going to help each other we're going to work really hard on this um and it put me in a leadership position where i started to understand how much time went into each individual piece and when that all came together we actually it was really cool uh matt pellegrino who was our composer he was doing uh what is it like a i don't remember if it was an assignment performance or what have you but he got a full orchestra of students to play the music that he composed for our animation. And they played it live to the animation for a performance. And that was just, that was so fucking cool to me. And it all clicked. I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to work with a team that is just, you know, I'm going through my life with all of this interdisciplinary interests where I'm a performer. I sing, I love music. I love art. I love cartoons. And from all of this time kind of like looking for guidance from other animators like Thurup and other people that I was talking to at the time, it all really clicked where I was like, Oh, animation is that I can be the performer. Mm-hmm. I can be the artist. I can be the creative. We can incorporate the music. It just like, it made sense finally. And, mm-hmm. and I feel like that's true. Like animation is, you're not just, even though I'm a storyboard artist, I contribute to like the whole picture you know, mm-hmm. and, and so I felt really confident that my skills in all of these places could be funneled into like the ultimate me. And that's really when I started to kick it into gear and look into like what it truly meant to work in animation. You know, flash forward to my senior year. Oh, what a trip. That was like the final identity crisis of college. <laughs> Cause you know, you have your thesis project. And so I'm finally understanding what storyboarding is and I say I propose for my project I'm going to storyboard a scene and boy did I get myself in trouble like I didn't know what that really meant I had done some storyboards for this After Effects animated like most dangerous game thing that I had a team for but now it's just me alone to my devices Mm -hmm. and so um you know I, I come up with this concept and I'm starting to board it and maybe four weeks in, it hits me that, like, I don't really know what I'm doing. And I'm kind of just following this Tumblr post that I found about, like, DreamWorks, 
how to storyboard anything. I don't know. Like, you know, the ones I'm talking about where it was just like, oh, I got this DreamWorks source material and I'm going to right click it and save as a crispy JPEG in a folder that I'll never find again. And that's like all you had. You didn't have these gumroad how to's from people that are currently working. And so it's it's like really dawning on me that maybe it's like, oh, I don't have what it takes. Maybe I shouldn't do this project. And and then all of this stuff that I'm learning and doing these hands on like tactile projects and other classes while trying to work on my thesis. I'm like, oh, no, animation isn't my identity. And I'm just having a crisis all over again. I completely scrap my storyboard project, which in hindsight, bad idea me, because then I had even more of a crunch to create this. I ended up creating a comic, a hand-drawn, a hand-painted comic of a, of a character that I had at the time, uh, Lady Bird, mm-hmm. who was just like this psychological explanation of, or exploration of everything that like 22-year-old, uh, you know, finding tarot and spirituality for the first time. It was a mess. Sure, it was, it was yeah. the most art school I've ever been. I make this gallery Expressive. piece. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, I need to do something that is like the ultimate me. I need to make the best, most representative thing of me. And these were still in the days where Gia would, you know, me talking in the third person would just, <laughs> but that person's dead. I don't, I don't work like this anymore because we it was so, her. yeah, it was so <laughs> detrimental to my health. I would work long hours. I would push myself. I would guilt myself. I'm not good enough. Like. I need to change my product or project because it's not the best representation of me. Like that everything needs to be me, me, me. And I need to prove that I'm worthy of being here. So, you know, I, I get into this whole spiel. I work on this project for my senior thing. And then we get closer to the, to the end of the year and I'm working on this project and I get a message from Therup and it's like, do you want to test for DreamWorks home? And at the time I was like, test I don't know what that means and I asked around and I was like what's testing and nobody really knew what it meant and and I asked the head of my department and she was like I'm I'm just not sure like I'm not sure what a storyboard test is and that goes to show that was the sign of the times like we didn't nobody really even knew if you weren't part of the industry or close to California I don't think that it was common knowledge of how you were supposed to get jobs mm-hmm. you know and so this opportunity kind of came I think I want to be fair and backtrack and say that probably came early early in the semester there was two semesters left for me and so in the first semester I I track this timeline because it's important later on but he reaches out to me and he's like do you want to test for uh, home I don't know what a test is and I was like I do but I'm also in school trying to get my degree because at that point I'm in like the home run of my last two semesters And I'm like, I want to get my degree. I want to finish this project that's so meaningful to me, yada, yada, yada. And he's like, okay, well, I'm going to set it up with, you know, with the HR. They're going to send you a test and everything. And so I get the test while I'm focusing on all of this identity crisis. And and I'm like watching home and trying and like to myself, this is like the hardest I've ever worked on a test because, again, another like prove yourself moment where I have to be I have to do my best and I kind of have no idea what I'm doing there's no resources online that can really tell me how to storyboard and I I remember having a sketchbook where like I did all my thumbs really tiny and put all this detail into them and then I scanned them in and you know I drew them really crappily and 
in some storyboard pro template that I got off Google and I pulled it in. I didn't have storyboard pro, so I pulled it into Photoshop and made probably the crappiest test DreamWorks has ever seen. And I submit it. Oh, I promise you that's seen worse. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> and so I submitted it, but me being so scared of like, I don't know, not completing college and stuff, which in hindsight, if you get an opportunity for a job and you're still in college, take the job. Jesus yeah, Christ. Yeah, fuck school. You don't need But it. me of noble heart was like, here's my test. Also, I'm in college and I want to graduate. So, like, obviously I wasn't going to get this. And at the time, I think Robin Palmer was the um, recruiter there. And she was so sweet to me. She's like, we'll keep you in mind for future projects. And the team loved your test and yada, yada. And uh, I, I think that was probably just another hitch in the identity crisis I was going through that senior year. And so, obviously, I didn't get the job. And then I dive into the senior project in the, in the first half of the year. Um, and then we have our break and we come back to the final semester where we're, we're preparing to set everything up. And I think I either Thurup reached out to me or I, maybe I followed up with him and was like, Hey, that was really cool that you sent me a test. Um, and basically are there any more opportunities because I'm graduating soon? And there weren't at the time, but he was like, what about an internship? And I just, it just never came across my radar to do an, an animation internship and I've actually since graduated excuse me I've actually since graduating um done a lot of talks on internships because the next couple of steps for me were really hard because I soon found out that all internships you needed to be a matriculated student for and what that means is you need to have at least a year ahead of you for school like you're still a student mm. and you need to have a school credit applied to the internship because they, I don't know, they yeah. just, they wanted it to be opportunities for students. Yeah. I didn't know that you needed a year ahead of you because I, well, mine, never mind. Mine was a weird exception. But I feel like a, a lot of seniors end up in internships. That's very true. And uh, my situation ended up being special because I kind of found a loophole in that. And so mm. that being said, I was, I kept poking him about internships. I was like, hey, I looked into this internship and, I can't apply. There was like something wrong with the Disney portal at one point. And I don't even think he worked at Disney, but me being like of child mine was like, I can't apply for this internship. And this one has really hard specifications and I just don't understand. And now I'm thinking back on it. And he was probably around our age at the time. So I just probably. imagine myself getting messages from like a, a early college student. Like, I don't know how to apply for this internship. What do I do? And I'm like, I don't know either, man. I can't even get a job right now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Just putting up with it. But again, like the graciousness from this man. And so finally, he was like, why don't you apply for a Titmouse internship? And I did. And the day that I walked for graduation and grabbed my diploma, I get an email from Titmouse accepting me for the internship. And it blew my mind. I never thought of that as a possibility. The problem was, I'm no longer a student. How do I take this internship? Finally, an opportunity falls in my lap. And I'm no longer a student. But yeah. what worked out was by the grace of all of these professors that cared so much about me, they found a loophole where I was able to register as an extended learning student. So kind of like adult learning where anyone 
you know, mm-hmm. that isn't of college age and wants to take a, a, a college course can do like, you know, nighttime learning or summer learning. And so they found, um, I don't even remember what the course was, but it was a one credit course that they were going to like retroactively apply to my degree. And they allowed me to basically go through with the internship the following semester with this extended learning thing. <clears throat> and and basically now I'm like in this trajectory where I I have a summer until I'm going to California. And also I had the choice to be to go between New York and California. And I was like, mm-hmm. New York, I hate New York. I don't want to be here anymore. So never having been to California in my life, I'm like, I'm going to California. I'm going to go do my internship somewhere I've never been before. And it it was scary to me. I But I was really excited that I was able to like kind of work the system in my favor. I don't even know if you would call it a system, really. <clears throat> yeah, so I was really jazzed that finally an opportunity that seems like it's aligned with my interests, that people are like supportive of supportive of me for... Uh, I'm just going to like be able to pursue something that makes sense. Problem was, just like when I was, you know, applying for SAIC and thinking I was going to go to SAIC, like, where am I going to get this money, you know? And so I ended up working at Dairy Queen again, but then I took on a second job a block up the street at a Froyo place. Um, And so I worked full time at both places for the entire summer and then flew for my internship uh, to Titmouse. And it was like the hardest I've ever worked. And it really put a lot of things into perspective for me. And then it was the scariest jump that I've ever made. Yeah. It, yeah. It, but it was so worth it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, you got to take those risks. I pretty much have every, every like new big jump I made, I did it blindly <laughs> without really yeah. like, knowing what I was getting into. Mm. That's just how it goes. So like, what what's like your work history like what's the stuff you've worked on and what were the different roles and and stuff that you've had on the shows that is a great question because it took a while for me to actually get my first job after my internship the internship was really good for meeting people I kind of just used it as a way to network and that really came in my favor because when I got to my internship again it's just one of those things where the information at the time wasn't as available as it was now. So I didn't really have a plan after my internship. I kind of was like, I didn't think I was going to get this far. And so when I got to my internship, it was like, so what kind of artist do you want to be? Do you want to be a character designer? Or do you want to be a storyboard artist? Uh, character designers, nobody actually gets hired as a character designer because you have to be like really good, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. and so I'm like, I wanted to be a character designer. <laughs> like I was really sad about that. <laughs> like I felt really discouraged. Yeah. But it, it kind of, I really got turned onto storyboarding. And so that seed got planted in my mind but then the three months of my internship were up and it was like, okay, I, the only option is to go back home right now. And I, I went home, I want to say in November of 2016 and November in Western New York is like, bye-bye. It's winter now. Like the, the coldest, most freezing, worst time of year is November to February probably. 
you got that lake effect snow, it's daylight savings, so less sunlight. And I went from sunny California where all my dreams could come true and all these opportunities and I met all these artists that I admire and you're at like Titmouse, which is the coolest, savviest, like sexiest looking place, at least for me at the time. I was like, ooh, I'm working at oh, Titmouse. Sure, yeah. And I go from that right back to like snowy, poopy, sucky Niagara Falls. <laughs> My suck-ass hometown. <laughs> sorry if you're from Niagara Falls. I'm not sorry. No. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> but we all come from some shitty small town. Yeah, and it, it just like 17-degree weather, and I'm on this like junky computer that I had with a junky hand-me-down Cintiq that like barely worked. It was ancient. And I'm like, okay, what's ahead of me? I don't really know. I go back to work at Dairy Queen for like the one millionth time. And that's just so demoralizing. Like I have dreams and nightmares about that to this day where I'm like trapped at Dairy Queen and everyone's looking at me like, oh, you didn't make it, huh? You're back at Dairy Queen. <laughs> it's like, no. But for seven months of this winter time in Niagara Falls, I had no prospects. And I didn't really know how to plan for that when I went for my internship because I just I had no scope of the industry. I had no scope of the different jobs. I didn't know that there were colorists. I didn't know that revisionist was an entry level job. I just didn't know anything. And so I guess like my whole life is learning on the job, which is kind of a good analogy for, you know, what it's like to work in animation. Sure. Yeah. And I was, I just learned about testing when I was at Titmouse. So I'm, I'm writing people and begging for tests and, and sucking at tests and like not getting responses. And it's just month after month, like below. I remember there was a day where it was negative 17 degree weather and I'm like trying to work on this test for something and my back is aching and I'm working at Dairy Queen. And it's like, that's it. Like you did it kid and you failed. And you're back to an identity crisis. And so I go into a shift uh, one evening to work drive through at Dairy Queen, put my headset on, and I always uh, had this nook where I would hide my phone and text while I was taking orders um, or when it wasn't like it, there wasn't a rush or something. I would just reply to emails. And so I'm in the middle of taking an order halfway through the night and kind of at this point, I've worked seven years at Dairy Queen. So mm -hmm. it's like I'm taking the order. I'm writing an email. Just autopilot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like cooking dinner. Yeah, I've got seven arms. Mm -hmm. But I'm taking this order and I read my email and it's an email from Thurup. And he said, um, would you be interested in being a revisionist on the Angry Birds movie? And I like stopped talking and took my headset <laughs> off and I was like, can someone else take this? Went outside, like completely. Just fucking leave. <laughs> and Peace I out. was like, yes, 100%. And I'm, I'm like getting adrenaline and I'm like, what do you mean? Is this real? Are you for sure? You're not kidding, right? And he's laughing at me. He's like, I'm 100% sure. And, you know, then I go back inside and I'm shaking and my boss comes in to do the register and I'm like, uh... Mona, uh, like so shy, but so shocked from this opportunity. And she's like, what, what's going on? And I was like, I, I got an opportunity to work on a movie. And it was this nice little moment of like, oh my God, I'm so proud of you. Ah, but why are you leaving my, why are you leaving your job? Like yada, yada. And mm -hmm. then, yeah, dun, dun, three weeks to move to California. Oh, three oh, weeks yeah. to change my entire life. So I spent seven months 
just feeling so lost and so like I don't know like nothing was ever going to come my way and then I get this opportunity and it was crazy I I don't think I told anyone besides my family that I was moving and then I flew all the way to California USA and started my first job as a revisionist on the Angry Birds sequel and that was I don't know. It's just not something that I ever would have expected. You you rewind to like anti-social me going on the internet because I'm bullied all the time, spending most of my middle school and high school years on the internet in these art communities, you know, meeting someone that for what it's worth, never had to talk to me, never had to engage with me, but was so gracious with their time. And then I kept up with them and just kept sharing like my progress with them. And I don't know, I feel really touched that now that I see, now that I'm like closer to the age that he probably was, and I've been working for a while, that is just so, I don't know, so cool to give that opportunity to someone and to bring new blood into the industry and to be like, I see potential yeah. in you. And so, yeah, I worked on the Angry Birds movie and that was, that was hard. That was like, it was hard and cool at the same time because it was just one of those things where I didn't really know anything about storyboarding, let alone feature storyboarding. So I definitely learned on the job. Mm -hmm. And then going from there, like, I think what it, it's really true. Once you get your foot in the door, then everything starts to take off as long as you keep up with it and work hard. That being said about working hard, at the same time, I started realizing that the output that I was forcing myself to do in college where I was staying up these late nights, you know, till four in the morning to finish something that was due at 9am the next day or just being like so hard on myself to, to be good was not healthy in any way. Yeah. And I was, I was like very high strung, very leaderly, very like in command of my situation when I was in college, but at the detriment to my health. And as soon as I came to California, it, it just didn't make sense anymore with the lifestyle. And it was hurting me the first couple of weeks. And so I, I kind of slowed my pace and became quieter and just started to listen and learn from people. And I, I it was weird because I was so caught up about making a good impression and having a good reputation that I think I, I kind of developed some anxiety in terms of like, it was an identity crisis again, like, who am I? When do I speak? What about what I have to say is valuable and important? And, you know, I wasn't used to the to the nature of riffing in a writer's room. And I really had to unlearn everything about myself and then build it up based on what I was learning in California. The other hard thing about that was I didn't know anybody. Everyone was new and nobody knew me. So you go back to Fredonia, like 24 hour review Gia, 10, 10, 10 across the board. Like she didn't exist. I was nobody. I didn't have a basis besides the fact that I was hired. And so it was, it was really hard to feel like myself for probably all of Angry Birds, even though, you know, I felt very comfortable and I loved my team, but I just, it was just, I think for my whole life, I'm going to go through these crises, but it was just oh, sure, yeah. something where I was like, do I apply for jobs? Where do I belong? Am I going to get my next job? And it, it, it went right down to the point of on weeks. I, I laugh at this now because I, I would love to have like a week where I had nothing to do in my job, but there would be weeks where maybe something was, you know, being sent to Sony or whatever. And there were no revisions for me, but in my brain, I was saying, 
they're not giving you assignments because you're doing poorly and you're not good enough. And I was like, what, what sense yeah. does that make? Like I'm literally, I'm here. I'm literally doing it. I'm working on a yeah. movie. Oh, but they're not giving you an assignment this week because you suck and they wish they could fire you. And so that <laughs> It's just the nature of pipelines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, sometimes there's like nothing. Well, if it's like a stable, consistent pipeline, then there would hopefully be always something coming in, but that never happens. So there's mm-hmm. going to be moments of like nothing. You know, and I know that now, but it just, yeah. that inner saboteur, she said, you suck, Gia. I think everyone. Yeah, I think I would be surprised if, if every single young artist that comes in doesn't have that <laughs> moment of like, oh, no. Like, why am I not getting work? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, dude, no one cares about you right now. Like, there's like <laughs> a clog, like three oh, for sure. you know, steps behind the pipeline. And and they're not worried about you, mm. about your ego. Yeah. But, you know, I, I started to unlearn those things. I think part of me believing that was because I was so used to the cycle of being bad to myself. Like, mm-hmm. you know, telling myself I need to do the best version of my senior thesis project or what I will fucking evaporate. Like that's kind of, you know, I look back on that logic and I can make that joke now, but for some reason, like if I didn't do the best, I was going to die. And so, you know, then that unhealthy mindset does not translate to working in animation. Yeah. I think that's really true. I feel yeah. especially because when you're part of a team and like, there's so many things out of your control, so many things out of your hands that mm-hmm. like, you know, like no matter how hard you work on your your little tiny piece of like media or like you at the end of the day, and I say that in the best possible way, right? I don't say that in a demeaning way, but like at the end of the day, you're still a cog in the machine. Oh yeah. Yeah. Which is which and, and when you know what that means and when you can experience it and you, you know where that starts and ends, it can be really, really great because it's still a job and you still wanna be mm-hmm. creative in your own free time and whatever way you want to be you don't have to keep drawing (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah you don't have to post all the time and most importantly psa you never have to apologize if you're not posting like you are making free content for the world the whole internet and world to see and they're not if you don't have a patreon and you're just posting on twitter like nobody's paying a dime so don't apologize you don't owe people your art even more so than that yeah that's very true and even more so than that i see like young artists that will go off Twitter for a bit and then they come back and they're like, like, so sorry guys. Like I, I've lost like a, like five followers. Like, I'm a, and it's like, mm-hmm. who gives it? Those are mm-hmm. like bots. Like, what do you fucking yeah. care? Like, oh God. It's like, yeah. Just take the week off. Who gives a shit? Go live it's life the, a the little pressure. Yeah. The pressure that they're like born with mm-hmm. to like always be present. And it's like, I promise you, no one cares. Like nobody cares. I think it's Everyone because we follows come, hundreds of people. Yeah, we come from a generation where there was a moment in time where I want to say, well, we, we're all the kind of the same age, right? Like yeah. 28 to 30. There was still a moment where we all played outside. And then there was a tiny chunk where the internet was brought to you by dial up. So like, while the dial up was happening, <laughs> yes. you still played yeah, outside and read a book. <laughs> And yeah. then it kind of exploded into the social media craze that it is today. So we didn't grow up needing to <sighs> prove ourselves necessarily. And maybe that got ingrained in our psyche around like teenage years or whatever. But there's kids today that were born with a tablet in their hands. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's 
it's it's fucked up. Yeah. Because yeah, I think that's a good point. Because yeah, we st- we still grew up with an era where the internet was something you had to turn on, and it was like mom had to not be on the phone, mm-hmm. and like yeah. it was this whole thing. <laughs> get off the and phone! like got got yeah get a guy yeah exactly God forbid that she's waiting on a phone call or something. Come on, I want to go on Neopets. Yeah, mom, I'm looking up game facts. <laughs> and so like yeah, but if you're if you're born in the year like 2000 or even earlier and it's you know dsl is is a thing and Mm -hmm. it's just like myspace and whatever it's like yeah you're fucked because yeah you're used to that like it always being in your life you're used to it Mm -hmm. just being a background like white noise well there's that but there's also i don't know like when you you, like you exist through what you make right Mm -hmm. you you exist through how other people perceive you you know as a as a as a human as a social creature you you need kind of other people to witness you yeah and to be like yes you do exist like yes. yeah you oh do totally exist. comment so I, I totally understand you know like you don't mm-hmm. want to you don't want to lose that like if you stop being active you're because you're con- 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 constantly competing with mm-hmm. thousands of other people who also want to exist and Ugh, that's the trouble of it yeah if you're you're basically I mean, I know this is all not real because we do exist when we breathe, but like <laughs> when you spend so much of your self-worth or, or just not even, it's not even self-worth. It's just like the, the validation of your existence on the planet. When you mm-hmm. place all that on social media, I understand like the anxiety that comes with it. Oh, that. yeah. I think, I mean, also I'm a testament to the internet working for bestowing inner opportunities on someone it's like a double-edged sword where i can say you don't have to prove yourself on the internet but also if it weren't for the internet and my involvement in these communities from so early on and just kind of navigating that space truly i don't think i'd be where i am today so it's it's a hard balance well it's a yeah yeah, it's a balance and but i think and i think all of us probably got jobs from being and you know on the internet and mm-hmm. posting art and being part of communities but like it's okay i yeah i definitely before this whole like twitter instagram flurry like it, <laughs> it wasn't there wasn't this pressure because it's like yeah i had a myspace yeah eventually i had a facebook but it wasn't like you know deviantart didn't expect you to post mm. every day yeah and you post when you post and mm-hmm. there was no feed mm-hmm. feeds are really i think oh yeah wrong and even just the the way it's phrased is like feed, just like a fucking feedback on a horse. It's just you're just like constantly getting content. And Grandpa Gene is on his yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't think about it that way. It's fucked up. It's like we don't think about it, but it's like why has it been reduced to this like IV drip of shit? That, like mm. why can't we just get stuff when we get stuff? That's why I think the you know DeviantArt rest in peace. I mean it's still around. I guess it's still around. It's fucking dead. And. Um, <laughs> Nobody is, I mean, people are still on there, but it, it, it's not at its the peak, same. it was great. No, it's not the same. It, at its peak, it was great because it was, it was about just art. It was about mm. posting art and like the communities revolved around individual like pieces and artists. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just this like feat. There was no, uh, you know, I guess it's timeline. like, I guess the way I would put it is that it will definitely, the, um, medium like the way the landscape of the internet now will mm. highlight different kind of personalities than it did in the past yeah yeah that's a good point yep. now we're now we're basically highlighting people who are who show consistency mm-hmm. which is both really great because people who 
were consistent before but maybe didn't like and I'm that kind of artist like I, I put yeah. out things constantly but they're not super crazy finished yeah so you you get to have a little bit more of a spotlight but then the, the drawback from that is that people who can like paint like beautiful like da Vinci mm-hmm. style pictures if they just drop one of those every three months <sighs> then you know tough it's luck. the algorithm's gonna eat them alive yeah yeah, yeah you, so. you can't it's a yeah it's impossible to keep up. But anyway, that aside. Yeah, you were on Angry Birds and you were just kind of like... Yeah, I was on Angry Birds and then I actually... Uh, so the reason I know you, V, is because when you left Thundercats, I <laughs> yeah. filled in your spot. So I it you went did. from it went from V to G. So I... I v to G. <laughs> so I upgraded from revisionist on Angry Birds to board artist on Thundercats for the remainder of the season. And that's some of the most like that was hard but some of the most fun that i had just thundercats was such a hard show like i i mean i was i that's what i kept telling the crew was so like i was lucky that i got to be on thundercats at that moment in my career because mm. like i mean it was hard but like it wasn't for me like because i had the experience i could still like kind of navigate it without too much trouble or without you know working weekends or all that mm-hmm. jazz but uh for people whose gig that was the first time gig, I'm like that is oh yeah insane. That was an insane. Yeah, that was definitely boot camp for me. That initiated <laughs> me hardcore. Uh, bless Katie uh, Graziano's heart. She yeah. actually, I went over her house when I was still working on Angry Birds in the early days. Because <laughs> funny thing is, when I moved to California, uh, Katie and Drew were my downstairs neighbors. So I went to their place early in the Angry Birds days and I was like, I don't know how to use Storyboard Pro. And so they, again, so graciously were like, come on over. We're going to teach you Storyboard Pro. And we sat there on their couch and they taught me how to use it. Oh, that's really (laughs) And then flash forward, I work with Katie on Thundercats. So it's just once you get in, all of these people that you meet along the way, like just pay it forward and it's going to come back to you a thousandfold. Dude, that's also something that I, like, this is just, like, a quick, small tangent, but when I moved to LA for, to work at Nickelodeon on the Loud House, Mm. my first thought was, well, first of all, I don't know anyone in LA, Mm -hmm. so, and I was just, like, I mean, yeah, I've lived in the US before, but I was a teenager, and I was just, like, all right, I'm, and I know I'm not really good at living on, just by myself in a, in a in a box in an apartment so i was like all right i'll just find some roommates and then i thought maybe i'll find roommates that are also in animation hopefully maybe crossing fingers and then i asked on facebook if anyone Mm. was looking for a roommate and dude being roommates with other people in animation goes such a long way totally because uh, i was roommates with Teresa potts who was um yeah she's so awesome i love her she's so great and she worked at Cartoon Network as a PA, and Kevin Bailey, who was a revisionist on Thundercats. Aww. Like, like that was before you. Yeah. The show. But he was at Disney for a while, and just, like, having these two roommates and just, like, like living together and being nice people, you know, like, being, like, a nice person. Yeah. <laughs> you already start, like, putting that network together, just like you were, like, neighbors with Katie and Drew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you never so, know yeah. who's going to come back around. Yeah. You never know. I was going to say too, it's like if, if the, I think something that's important to focus on with the social media and stuff is that it's like, 
the output is overrated, but I think that the connections you make are probably more valuable. Oh, they're and priceless. Like, yeah. Yeah, they're priceless. And it's like, it's, it's okay to be gone for a little while, but like, I just lurk. Most of the time I just yeah. lurk and I respond to people and I don't, I barely really ever tweet or post on Instagram, but like, I'm always engaging with my friends. And yeah. so they know that I'm around. They think of me. I think of them like uh, you. And it's really important just to give like, nice comments i was gonna say like comment on your friend's stuff because we need we're gonna burn out completely if we don't support each other even just like a wow great job (laughs) four four heart emojis even that like is it helps the it helps the algorithm (sighs) but it also it's more than a it's more than a like because likes is a number and Mm -hmm. i i don't even i barely even register likes anymore and Mm -hmm. like comments is something that i value a lot more it's like oh okay this person took the fucking time (laughs) to write (laughs) even a little something is like great but yeah so you are on uh thundercats i was on thundercats and from there i've worked on a couple things since then i was a board artist on um inside job which is shion takeuchi's show it's going to be really awesome it's an adult animated series um but that's all about all i can say because that's all that's been announced (laughs) that show kicked my ass but in the best way like I I grew a lot on that show I think like your first couple board shows or excuse me your first couple board jobs are gonna kick your butt and Mm. and Mm. they have to because especially for me where there weren't there wasn't this wealth and wealth and wealth of resources online to learn from before I got to my first job and even besides that I truly believe C. Raggio was a coworker of mine on Mm -hmm. on Angry Birds and he told me uh, like one of my first days, he was like, you're going to learn the most that you'll ever learn like the six, for the first six months of your job for every job forever for the rest of your life. Like every job is so different pipeline wise and needs wise that you're always learning. You're just forever learning. And he was a really amazing mentor to me. He helped me like board my first uh, short toolkit when I was on Angry Birds. But anyway, um, true testament to that is like, going on the inside job, which is adult animated, so, so, so different than Thundercats where you're doing all this squash and, squash and stretch and you're just being so silly and you're kind of like taking a script and rolling with it. And I don't know, the voice of the show was so much of the people that worked with it. Then you go to inside job where like, you know, they have specific things in mind and there's a, just a different way that adult uh, pipelines run versus, you know, mm-hmm. six to 11 pipelines. Mm-hmm etc etc like you're every job you're gonna learn the most about being good at that job in the first couple months and so inside job was the next uh chapter in Gia's life and then I keep referring to Gia because every past version of me is dead now I'm a new person yeah you shoot him in the head and yeah, you goodbye. bury them in the yard <laughs> all my clones um and then after that I worked like, on you're like Ray from Evangelion you just like <laughs> that's what I was gonna say yeah just like uh, get i put your soul in a new body and it's all the previous one see this interaction right here is a testament to don't give up on your nerdy dreams kids because no. in 20 years you're gonna be a professional making evangelion references on a podcast and it'll yeah. all come full circle <laughs> um yep. more recently after that i worked with gene on jellystone mm-hmm. we were um we were like a tag team super revisionist duo 
uh, and that was just a blast. Another show that is supposed to yeah. come out soon, so I'm going to keep quiet about it, but please look forward to it. We put so yeah. much heart and soul in that show. It's very good. And it was it was rough because we, uh, we started, yeah, we started there. We were there for a month, and we had our little corner. We bought a bean bag just for our, like, for our sick little, like, revisionist corner, and it was going to be the party corner. And then it was like... <laughs> There's a horrible pandemic. Everyone go home. And it was like, oh, oh, such a bummer. We finally, a year later, finally got to go grab our stuff. And it was, mm-hmm. it was like, oh man, <laughs> it's like the life that we could have lived. It's an important detail to add is Jellystone is my quarantine production. Uh, first yeah. cor- <laughs> my first quarantine production. Like it was so Hopefully, sad because yeah, now I'm at this point where, like you said, you network with these people, they become these super valuable connections and so again like i was working with basically all my friends like i was working with Mm -hmm. gene i was working with katie ian like all these people that i'm meeting as i'm growing as an artist in california and i was like so excited to be a part of that team and not that we weren't a part of it when we were away but working from home it's just not the same it's It's different yeah there was a group chat, but I, I had a hard time working. We're not there physically. It's just yeah. so, it's so different. It was hard to like be working, but then also checking in on this constant like back and forth of memes yeah. and shit. And it was just like, I so I just detached. And being scared for your life. Yeah. So I just, I disengaged mm-hmm. and it sucks because I, I would have loved to be in the same space as all those people, mm-hmm. but it wasn't, it wasn't the same for me virtually. Mm. But, um, but yeah, and then Jellystone uh, hasn't, as of now, hasn't had a season two pickup. So we're just, just kind of chilling. Yeah. Well, what about V? Did you have to do any work during uh, quarantine? What were you on? Uh, yeah, I was on Spidey 2. Mm. For probably, for how long was that on? God, that must have been tough. It was, and at the same time, it was kind of nice for me to stay home because, like, the commute was so long. It was like, oh, that's right, forty to fifty minutes to mm-hmm. get there, like almost an hour. So that's pretty brutal. I, I, I'm able to sleep more, and, <laughs> and I actually, for me, I, I spent, I, I lived one year in Japan where I was working on, on the Loud House for a year freelance and so i'm pretty used to working freelance to working at home so Mm. for for me you're like this is a cakewalk yeah it's not too bad it's really not too bad for me Uh, i don't want to you know like uh this is just my personal experience i totally understand that it's extremely for sure for 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 a lot of artists especially because yeah you get so much energy from being in a studio and hanging out with other people and you know like you, like we were talking about, I grew up on the internet. Mm-hmm. I, I I would rather type to people than talk. Honestly, me too. Yeah. <laughs> I think rolling back to like growing up on the internet, yeah. another unexpected thing that it helped me with was transitioning into the work from home setting because it's just so ingrained in my, I guess yeah. like my psyche, like the way that I understand people is more thoroughly through text and through spending time like online together. I guess I never thought about it that way, but uh, I, I, yeah, for me, I don't know. Like, yeah, making a phone call gives me, ah, I hate it so much. <laughs> I hate talking to people on the phone. Like the podcast is great because we're like, there's a time we're typing yeah. before we go on. <laughs> yeah. So it's very prepared. I know like, all the steps. It's so great. Yeah. Quarantine feels a lot, feels a lot like that for me. I'm like, I know exactly what to expect. It's mm-hmm. very, um, 
what's the word like um the path is very well uh established (laughs) (laughs) that makes sense us waitaki people have to stick together it's <laughs> the that is its own community, huh? Mm-hmm. It, it's like we're yeah. It was the the anime enthusiast, mm-hmm. the fourteen year old anime enthusiast. Oh, anime. for me, it was the Powerpuff Girls. I'll have to uh, remind me to draw that on our next page. I'll draw my Powerpuff OC. Let's do it right now. Okay, yeah, let's, go. Let's, let's go on the next page. Flip over. Oh, I Amazing. love drawing Powerpuff Girls. <laughs> um, I will say more recently, I haven't started on it yet, but my the new chapter of Gia, once I shoot this one in the head and and move on to the next Gia clone will be, I am going to be a board artist on Tiny Toons. Yeah. Yeah. And I am, I am so jazzed about that. Nothing to say, no stories to say it is in the future, but that is the next part of my path. So keep an eye out. That's very exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is so cool. Well, so, uh, you talked about pop-up girls. That's a good segue into, uh, talking a little bit about like what shaped you as an artist. And Mm. like, you've talked about the Okaki boards and, um, your your love of clamp and uh <laughs> musicals but uh yeah like what are your favorite what are what are the things that kind of when you think of your art and what you do like what is the stuff that really defines you sure you know i think i think about my art now and i had this moment going back to quarantine i just everything about quarantine and being and being alone with myself has forced me and it it might be just because the days feel never ending. So yeah. my brain kind of transposed like those summer months between school where time didn't exist. And, you know, you're, you're 11 years old and you're staying up past your bedtime and tsunamis just ending and adult swim mm-hmm. is starting like the windows open. I'm setting the scene here. The cool summer breeze oh. is coming through. Oh, like, you're really, yeah. You get the chills thinking about being on your laptop, like, I don't know, looking up. I like... watched a video essay about <laughs> Tsunami yesterday and I was like, mm, there's the there's the feels. Yeah, so I my heart kind of got settled back into like my my middle school ways and everything that I've been working on lately has been and more or less like a love letter to everything I loved in middle school. It's like everything I'm doing now is for 12-year-old Gia. So 12-year-old Gia at at my mother's dismay was very into like horror and and blood and guts and like I was (laughs) I was an emo kid so I listened to like my chemical romance and it was dark and sad and scary all the time but then you mix in like digicarrot and like these hyper bubblegum pink anime characters and you know I, I got into like Silent Hill but at the same time I wanted to be a magical girl and and then at the same time, like somewhere between elementary school and middle school, I got really into stranger science fiction shows. And so that led me into loving things like Invader Zim, because if you if you watch Invader Zim now, like such a love letter to science fiction, like so much of it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it's just so much of it is like the world they created is is so different than anything you know that was on tv that was like let's be friends and, and yada yada i wanted yeah, like the yeah. darker stuff i liked like my dad was all about star wars i grew up on star wars i grew up on alien i grew up being totally afraid of mars attacks like having nightmares about them but at the same time like having a doll of the the human woman that like was sound oh, yeah, activated yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I I rewatched. Uh, well, I hadn't seen it in like ages, mm-hmm. and I rewatched it like this week, and it still disturbed me to my core. Like, there's something <laughs> about it. it. Even though the CG is like terrible, it's it, so like, uncanny makes it valley. Scarier. Yeah, it's really upsetting. And so I'm like 31, and I'm like, I don't like this. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't want to watch this anymore. But yeah, my dad, my dad loved movies, so he was always watching you know movies at full volume downstairs surround sound Mm. and so that kind of bled into my my influences and then what was I gonna say oh and my dad was a toy collector so I was just I was really into Pokemon cards Yu-Gi-Oh cards I went to like the Pokemon leagues when I was younger and then in tandem with that my mom my mom was very spiritual and very like she had angel statues everywhere and she would do these um like medium writings for people so i had a combination of i loved oh i watched sylvia brown with her all the time so i loved ghosts i loved paranormal i loved ghosts i loved spooky things like i was always afraid there was a ghost in my bedroom and i loved watching like ghost hunting shows and i think that all culminates into my influences are all very like cutesy dark-sided i love super cute things and i love super horror horrible horror spooky things so it's just Mm -hmm. a combination of take the cutest most innocent moments of life and 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 twist them and make them very absurdist and terrifying and (laughs) like bloody (laughs) weirdly in vogue i feel like you're not alone i Mm -hmm. think that it's like everyone that grew up with that sort of anime cutesy stuff and is now living through the end of the of days mm-hmm. is like is like fuck it <laughs> like let's make this shit weird yeah and like yeah I see a lot of that kind of stuff it's interesting, it's interesting I'm how... living for it like that this yeah, is all sure. my flavor it's the the age of Gia now <laughs> yeah it's like we all grew up something that I, that I I remember actually having this thought when I was younger like in my mid twenties or something and I was thinking like man what is like art gonna feel when is media gonna feel like it represents like me more because for a Mm. long time i was just like i hate like it never felt like anything that was being released was like truly Mm. for me or like what i cared about and which is fine you just accept it growing up because like we said it's like you grow up you don't you're uncool and that's that yeah you get used to it and so whatever and then suddenly it's like superhero movies became a thing and obviously that got blown out but then it's like scott pilgrim was a huge deal for me because i was just like there's a movie being made of like an indie comic and like and it was done really well by edgar Wright, and like that (laughs) blew me away and then and then suddenly just it's the the switch got flipped and now i'm sick of all of it (laughs) now i'm like all right all right enough enough geek shit let's Mm -hmm. make some like actual classy movies now that i'm older and i'm like all right come on grow up everyone (laughs) but it's cool i mean i i do i'm joking but like i i like that I actually really like that um, stuff that was considered low art before has a, a more of a platform and like people enjoy it. I just don't want it to be the only thing out there. That's always For like, sure. it, you know, again, it's all about balance. And I, I I don't want it to be the only thing that people go to for their entertainment because mm-hmm. like stuff with depth needs to exist as well. Oh, and yeah. Fucking Marvel movies are not the end all. <laughs> But they're the only thing right now. Yeah. Well, fuck yeah. But people are like watching classic movies and they're like, this reminds me of uh, WandaVision. It's like, no, 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 no. WandaVision reminds you of that and keep that straight. (laughs) But anyway. You know what else influences me? I had a spell when I was still in my fine arts finding myself phase where I got really into tattoo art. And I I look at my art now 
and I feel like a lot of my style was influenced by, I like, um, I'm a big fan of old school tattoos, but kind of mixed with, I, I guess I don't know all of the categories of tattooing. Cause you know, there's old school, new school, et cetera, sure, et cetera. Yeah. But there's just something about like super graphic shapes that in tattooing just, it just like, it excites my brain. It's like, I want to do that too in my pieces. And I feel like that translates into my work a lot. So the stuff that I like to create is a combo of super cute anime girls, super horrible Silent Hill monsters, like tattoo shape language, and I don't know, anything else in between. All of my technical skills dumped in. <laughs> I think it shows. I Yeah, I, I, I like to ask these questions because I first of all, I like to see people get excited about the stuff they like mm-hmm. but i also think when you hear it laid out it's like yup <laughs> like, that makes that sense is, that is who you are uh-huh. and it's been pretty consistent with all of our guests it's like yeah that tracks like you are exactly <laughs> a... and i and i i would hope that it's nice to hear that too because it's oh like, for sure like we all want to be the things we grew up on especially ties into you know my i think my whole theme of my my career thus far is identity crisis and finding yourself and like who (laughs) am i and so to be able to just say like oh okay so i kind of do have an identity is it's reassuring for me (laughs) i think yeah every artist even all the ones we admire were all trying to do something else like they were Mm. all trying to be the their heroes and it's really interesting when you start realizing that and you meet the people you, you meet your heroes or you just hear their stories and it's like oh they also were trying to do something else and felt like they were failing at it. Mm, yeah. And it's like, yeah, but that's the thing that like made me want to do mm-hmm. what I do now. Like you don't you don't understand. Like <laughs> you're just like yelling at them across the the world. But we all suffer. We all uh, suffer the same identity crisis. Yeah. That inner saboteur. Yeah, the inner saboteur, yeah. How do you especially talking about quarantine and and burnout and everything. Mm. Uh, how do you usually deal with creative block and what is it kind of um feel like to you oh god so like I said before I was very very unkind to myself when I when I would face what I now understand to be like burnout and creative block you know those times where I felt like oh you're not producing enough you're you're never gonna you're not grinding you're not trying to learn and get your skills up there like you're not good enough because you're not trying now has transformed into you are burnt out you're diminishing your returns, you need to relax. So I, you know, when I feel burnt out, when I feel creative block, I do the opposite of whatever I'm trying to do. Like if I'm trying to draw, and I'm completely spent, if I still have a little bit of juice in me, and I'm trying to be creative, I, I'm kind of like aspiring to try writing and so I start Mm -hmm. I start writing I have a bunch of like journals I have dream journals because I'm really uh, into lucid dreaming so and I have been for over a decade now I like try to I try to keep a a consistent practice of it which involves me writing my dreams down when I wake up in the morning and then what's interesting about that is I had this class in community college and it was probably my favorite class that I've ever taken it was called fairy tales and folklore and she made us write down our dreams for the entire class. And then she used the archetypes that she taught us about in folklore that we were studying. And she used it to analyze our dreams. And that opened my eyes to like, you know, your dreams hold all of these subconscious problems that you're trying to solve during the day sure. that activate at night when you're you're rewinding them in your head. So I try to keep a practice of like 
I guess, literally like diving in my mind and I'll write down dreams that I've having and then I'll come back to them weeks later and read them over and try to parse it. And when I was in college and, and creating the Ladybird series, all of that came from my dreams and my subconscious struggles. And I transformed my dreams and, and my anxieties into characters, which like sounds like, oh, I, I was using my brain to make these characters from the deepness of my psyche. But it, it's not that deep. It was just like, I, I go inward when I feel art blocked and I try to pull things, whatever's like blocking me from making something. It's like, it's time to rest. If resting means you read a book, that means that like you're in stasis and you're absorbing something to inspire you. Um, if that means, you know, writing down a meaningful dream and coming back to it, that's probably for the best because the reason that I'm blocked up is probably something that I just haven't consciously worked through, you know, and then, it just all goes into the opposite. So relaxation means going outside. I found such value. I guess, you know, I don't want to say that stay at home was a good thing. It, it's not <laughs> in the scheme no, of things. But it forced me to yeah. be like, I'm not moving. And this is making me feel really bad. So I need to go on a walk every day. And then I started walking in silence without my phone. And I started like hmm. thinking more. And it started, I don't know, it just started bringing my brain to like a it started activating different parts of my brain I guess that's how I like to visualize it right and so uh, when I feel art blocked it's like stop you're just going to you know you're just gonna spin those wheels it's gonna hurt your brain you're gonna whatever you make when you're art blocked Gia it's gonna be poopy so you need to give yourself a second right you know and I always do that with like deadlines and stuff in mind <laughs> my employer as I say through my hands like I'm always working I'm also taking a break <laughs> but well, I yeah. it's I think I well, I say that too about work because you just you need to be able to say like it's okay if I'm running on fumes you need to accept that you need to treat your body right and that's kind of the practice that I'm into right now mm-hmm yeah, you've been bullying me a lot. For, <laughs> Take a for, break. For not, not taking the break. I'm going to force you on a vacation. I'll buy you a vacation and force you to go on it. And I'll hide yeah. all of your electronics. <laughs> Please. I just don't. Uh, yeah, I think that. It, yeah, the, the stay at home orders have been interesting because on one hand, it's like it has been kind of making a lot of people I see question their paths and their habits. And when you're faced when you're when you're dealing with it day to day and you're faced with sort of the consequences of like your bad habits it's like wow I, this is bad huh because mm -hmm. you can't run from it you can't you can't break it down into mm -mm. weekends and weekdays you're just like oh shit this is this is not good for me mm -hmm. but on yeah on the flip side it's like vacations are really difficult oh yeah it's like you have all this time in the world to go yeah. anywhere but you can't because you have to keep people safe yeah, i can't yeah i can't even separate home from work anymore no mm -hmm. one can and so or a lot of people can't and so, yeah, and so that's where it gets tough for me because I, I actually had a pretty good um, burnout prevention method. You know, I wouldn't take work home with me. Like Correct. I would take trips to overseas and stuff. Mm -hmm. And But now, yeah, that's what's – and that will eventually come back to normal. It will. Of course, yeah. Despite what some doomsayers like to say, it will <laughs> get back to normal. And um, and so I'll get out of it. But, yeah, it's it's good that you've managed to find a way to balance yourself during all this bullshit yeah we had some questions Ooh. that i thought were interesting give me them we had a question from at dino lich 
from our friend Moss. Mm. What do you like better about TV versus feature? Also, <laughs> feature versus TV. <laughs> Very good question. I think, hmm. So what is it? Feature versus TV first? I guess it doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Yeah, okay. <laughs> what I like about feature is, even though I was a revisionist on Angry Birds, and I'm sure this is different from production to production, I was always involved in the... Um, kind of like the brainstorming meetings like it mm -hmm. it it wasn't just you know a team b team c team or you know these people come up with stuff it was a very inclusive like let's pitch all our ideas let's sit together in you know in the in the conference room and we're going to shoot out ideas we're going to watch through the movie once and pause it and keep pitching and it it i think that was my jumping point for learning how the banter goes when you're in a writer's room and it started teaching me how to be more like quick witted and how to yes and with people, which is very hard. And I recommend if it doesn't feel like the most like horrible thing in the world to take an improv class because you'll yes and animation is all yes and like you have to be willing to collaborate with people and, you know, kill your babies and, and just kind of go with the flow of it. And so, you know, feature was very much like the movie grows as you make it. Whereas with TV, I've noticed, it, you know, you have the writers and they write the script and then you stick to the script and then you stick to the radio play and the pipeline is so tight that you, you can't think twice about things. And I think the hard part about TV is we have these like smashed up pipelines that really just burn people out so fast. And so, yeah. the, you know, it that's scary to me because I'm kind of like teaching myself to to be kind to myself and then I met you know with pipelines that are a little out of a little out of reach sometimes that being said I kind of like the turnaround in tv of you're on an episode for a month and you come up with everything on the spot I think I'm like best as someone that just I draw it once and then it's done like when I draw sketches I'm like the sketch is the best part you know it's it has the most energy it has the essence of what I was trying to make and I think being able to see you know the turnaround for tv then is like the next year you're seeing your show you know thank or hopefully yeah hopefully and and so you the burnout is lessened by the validation of seeing your boards being translated to screen and I think adding to that because a lot of the shows go overseas you're seeing literally your drawing from the board like translated almost one for one to the animation and so that's really gratifying whereas with features just years and years and years and iteration after iteration and like the essence of you might be in a scene but someone might have reboarded it for whatever you know screening purpose and sure. so i think they it's just it depends on your team and it depends on how quickly you want to see what you've worked on and, and what validation means to you. But uh, I guess that's how I kind of feel about both. Yeah. Via, you've worked on both too. What do you think about that? It's, uh, I think, unfortunately for me, I only have one experience in feature. I mm. wish I had more just so I could have a, a more informed perspective on feature. Yeah. I mean, I only have one too, so <laughs> we're in the same boat. I would say feature... And I was on like a very high kind of um, profile project. 
ID too. So you have mm-hmm. so many people looking at it. There's so oh, the much. stakes are probably so high. Yeah, the stakes are so high. So the decision making is very is very different. Like kind of what my dream is right now is mm. to be on a feature that kind of like nobody really cares about. Just I think that would be a lot of fun. <laughs> like you know, like yeah. kind of like I don't know, like a spinoff third movie that would be great because probably mm-hmm. the executives don't have like and then you can have more fun in terms of like pitching stuff mm-hmm. and i'm so sorry yeah i'm thinking like because that would be fun you know just like being able to pitch ideas trying things out uh being a little bit more rough that would be mm-hmm. that would be a lot of fun i think on a feature i think uh it it's like projects or a project is so dependent on the leadership. Oh, totally. Yes. Totally, yeah, totally. And and that's something that I'm starting to understand here. Because in France, there's like no money, no time, no nothing. So every show is like the same. There's like every show is basically run the same. You just have to learn the style of mm. the show, like the like the, the way to draw the characters and, and kind of like the humor of the yeah. show. But once you got that down, it's pretty much, you know, what you're getting into. But here, Interesting. shows are structured in such different ways from a show to another. And it's like, you're, like I said, you're relearning the pipeline every show. <laughs> yeah, for, for some very, yeah, for some very, um, I don't know. Yeah, for some, some really interesting reason. I don't know. There's probably, I think probably when someone steps into a uh, role of leadership, it um, is very tempting to be like oh i know how i know exactly how to do this and it's gonna be my way Mm. and sometimes you have to be flexible you know like yeah be like yeah it doesn't have to be (laughs) your specific way that you came up with by yourself in a dark yeah it's like we're a team you know collaborative (laughs) yeah yeah uh, had another question from uh, at Casey Williams, our guest, uh, guest, previous guest on the show. What kind of project have you always wanted to work on, but have yet to have the opportunity to? Easy, a fucking musical. Mm. Hire me for your musicals. I have a breadth of knowledge yeah. of ten years of stage experience. I'm a sing-songy little bitch. <laughs> I can vouch for that. Please. I haven't worked on a musical project yet, but it doesn't mean that I'm not an asset. I would absolutely love They're few that. And far between. It's kind of hard. It's like, yeah. There's not there's not that many, but there should be more. That's why it's a dream. Those are just hard to make. Yeah, it is hard to make. Yeah, understandably. Yeah, because you got to have like like the songs be part of the yeah. plot, mm-hmm. and that is tough to write. You can like count them on one hand almost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If not that, I would want to write a song into boards that I'm making. Sure. Like I, yeah. I would want, like if I were working on an episode, I want to write a song and board to it. I think that's achievable. I think that yeah. you could always push for that even possibly with mm-hmm. depending on the show. Mm-hmm. We got a question from at Crooked Glasses. Mm-hmm. Uh, they asked a few, but we kind of covered some of it. First question was, are there other mediums that you enjoy? Oh, I love working with uh, Sculpey and like air dry clay. I love, I'm, so I take after my dad. I love collecting toys. I'm a big blind box vinyl toy girl. And so not only is my house littered with that, but I'll make 
just little creatures all the time with Sculpey and paint them with like some cheapo acrylic stuff. I used to have this series that went with my Ladybird story, a series of little figurines, and I would I would mass produce these little these little birds, and they were called cagelings. And they were the same design, but I would just paint them a little bit differently every time. Oh, and I would give them to people and they I told them they were like little spirit guides for like a worry stone whenever you're anxious and like they'd be there to take the anxiety away. And I I sold them at my at like art sales and I gave them to friends for birthdays and people still have them to this day. So like oh, I'm all great. about I'm all about the 3D. If I could ever produce, you know, like a vinyl toy, that would be a dream. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was uh, when I was a kid. I used to. I got really into Sculpey, and mm -hmm. um, God, I made so much shit with Sculpey. And I would do the same thing where I would come up with like sets. Like I would come mm -hmm. up with like essentially, you know, what is now a blind box, where it's like, or like a, a Funko, whatever that shit. Where it's like yeah. I would come up with like a, a a base, and then I would like make variations on it. Like I made these totally like, holiday little uh, critters or whatever. Oh my god! Or I did like a whole Harry Potter collection, and like my parents kept all of it and it's deteriorating Aww. at a rapid pace because like i didn't know how to paint them right they're made out of like shitty sponge clay whatever that stuff was and so it's all just like it's looking rough and it is like yeah probably close to 20 years old and um but it's funny going back home and seeing it all i'm like man i did a lot i did a mm -hmm. lot with my hands and a lot of like 3d yeah like sculpting and I yeah do it anymore. i think that also comes my mom was she always made little trinkets like she made um these these jars that had like big fat pillow wings in them and then a scroll that was tied really sweetly with a message and then she would put a doily on the top and tie a ribbon around it and she gave them away I guess this is kind of like now that I'm telling the story maybe a subconscious inspiration but um they were angel wings and they were supposed to be like a guardian angel message so shout out to my mom for inspiring me like a decade and some change later to make cagelings I feel like my my both of my parents were very creative where like my mom's a writer and my mom's very like spiritual and and stuff like that and my dad is a collector and you know yeah it was an artist and so my parents influenced me a lot in the sense that they guided my hand but then I found my influences and like put my own splash on it oh but my mom is like you with the blood and and the guts and everything can't you draw something nice <laughs> I just got a tattoo and it has a, a little like droplet on it and I showed it to my mom and she's like what does the droplet mean is that blood is this you with your blood again <laughs> I was like no no it means nothing it's just a design <laughs> yeah at crooked glasses also asked what's your process when creating a piece do you often plan them or go wherever your hand takes you <laughs> my process is the most ass backwards like Nothing. There is no process. I usually go straight Chaos. ahead into it. I, you know, I just sit down, I grab whatever I'm going to draw on, and I just, it's one and done. I work, maybe I, I work like two days on a piece, but I always, it's always in the moment. And if I have a plan for something, it usually fizzles out. I try to just, you know, go intuitively with my pieces. It's probably better. Probably mm. a better way to go. Less mm -hmm. expectation. Maybe maybe storyboarding's kind of ingrained that into me because yeah. it's just like it's changed my process to be so fast that it I'd rather not you. yeah. I'd rather yeah. just get the joke across or whatever I'm trying to do. For sure. Yeah. I, I see a lot of board artists that or I see a lot of artists who used to do more fleshed out stuff once they move into boards 
they either just stop drawing, which is unfortunate, mm-hmm. but or they get really rough and like, mm-hmm. yeah, just like quick with their stuff. And then one final question from at three booby. If you could make <laughs> any animal into a household pet, what would it be? Oh, that's a good question. Oh, this is a hard question. Well, they also asked, uh, totally, completely unrelated, uh, what part of the pr- <laughs> production process do you like the most? Okay, I will answer that one first and yeah. imagine animals while I'm doing it. So yes, there's little sim, there's sim bubbles above my head and they're, okay. they're rotating through animals. <laughs> Um, my favorite part of the production process is watching people pitch. I love mm, pitches. Yeah, it's a very good one. I love, even if it's like a radio play pitch and we're watching it, I love the energy. And this is one of like the things I'm most sad about being work from home is I love being in that room. I love that energy before the pitch where we're like hyping the person up. I love laughing. I, I mean... I'm sure you can tell from this podcast, but if you knew me in person, everyone tells me I have a witch's laugh. I have a boisterous cackle. I love laughing. I love supporting my friends with laugh at laughter. Like I love pitches. <laughs> yeah, you're like a you're like a, a laugh sprite. Mm-hmm. You're like a thank you a laugh. Uh, the g- Greek goddess of cackling <laughs> of laughter. <laughs> yeah, of laughter. Just <laughs> cackling. Aw, I like that. Ah, this favorite animal to be a pet question yeah i would want honestly this is kind of like a lame answer but i would want a domesticated big cat could you fucking imagine like a snow leopard sitting next to i don't want i don't want that i can't no (laughs) i don't want to imagine that i hate that oh and then i take it for walks and it would have a big old harness around it and then it fucking eats you the second that it's like hungry (laughs) you don't feed it i've i've trained it Mm-hmm. This is my fantasy. Because your cat where... always listens to you and does everything you want it to. <laughs> Let me live my fantasy. Okay, fine. In your fantasy, this cat is, acts like no other cat ever, and it just takes big out. fat dumps. Yeah, gigantic, like size of your head. Eats big fat <laughs> raw meat. Yeah, you gotta yeah. throw. Have you not seen Tiger King? Fuck, I don't want that. Look. Hey, okay, fine. In this fantasy where you don't have to feed it and it doesn't poop and it is exactly what you want. It's just a big rug, really. You just yeah. want a big rug to pet. I just want a big cuddle bunny. A big warm rug. Mm-hmm. Do you have any... You talked about it a little bit, um, but like, what are your goals for your future that you kind of have in mind? Oh, geez. You know, I've been like tapping my finger on myself. Uh, it's, a, it's actually a really good question because the thing I've been lamenting about lately kind of like in the vein of quarter life crisis having another one of my crises is I've spent my whole life trying to get somewhere you know I've spent probably the last you know all of my college years was essentially getting into animation and then I did that and now I'm in animation and while my short-term goals are like okay I gotta get my next job so I can survive I don't fully know what my new long-term goals are like i'm like wow i have to construct a five-year plan because i don't freaking know i like just figured out how to navigate being in the industry and you know like everyone that wants to be in animation i thought at first oh i want to be a showrunner i want to make a show but i don't know i think i would absolutely love to do pre-development viz dev stuff for shows that that seems really fun for me because I'm I'm just like so quick with the doodles and I love thinking on the spot and I love building off of other people's ideas like I'm a I'm a true collaborator so maybe that but 
you know, it's, it's another, it's the next chapter of crises where the I don't, I don't chapter. know what I want next. And I think that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. I don't think there's anything. I'm not worried. It's, it's hard to plan for the future. I'm not telling any of you. You're yeah. gonna. You, you don't. You're not gonna know what I'm up to next. After you've revealed everything else. Yeah. <laughs> that's the one thing you're never gonna reveal. Bleep it out. Cut it out. <laughs> cool. Is there anything you want to plug or anything else you want to talk about? Oh, plug. Well, weekly I, I'm on Jonah Vasquez's Twitch stream usually um, as a guest, and we do some really fun draw jams. Mm-hmm. It's the most absurd and wacky time no uh, <laughs> please don't yeah don't call it don't i don't say know that. a demon possessed me when i said that <laughs> it's a bucket of fun it's just like so fucking like yeah but we uh random. we have guests on yeah we have guests on and i've been just on riff and doodle yeah gene's been on it's a good time you do uh, your own streams too here and there uh, yeah i do my own twitch streams here and there um i'm <laughs> okay we're talking about aspirations i am very interested in this vtuber culture right now so mm-hmm. you might see some kind of vtuber persona from me Ooh. but other than that you know i'm just trying to survive so i don't i don't really have any projects to reveal if you want to follow me that's usually the most spur of the moment gia doodles that you'll get but if you want to watch me draw live with some pals um we usually have a good slate of guests and the, uh jonan and jenny goldberg on mondays they specifically uh do a show together called what is it called drawing hurts <laughs> yeah <laughs> whatever what yeah called. and the fun thing about the streams is that now after every stream uh they pick favorite doodles and they turn them into merchandise through Threatless. Oh, yeah. so Zogi go become Corp. a fan go to zogi corp get your merch um, buy our doodles. Go to at Gia Ligamari on Instagram and yeah, Twitter. Yeah, give me a follow. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> your art is great. You're, they're very funny. Thank you. Your, your doodles. Your doodles My and doodles. your art. Awesome. Well, that's the end of this creative block. Woo! Thanks to uh, Gia for being our Thank guest. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, for sharing your story. And thanks to your listeners. Follow us on Twitter. That's at Creative Blog, Creative Without the Vowels, where we ask for drawing prompts and questions to ask for guests. Huge thanks to my sister Clemens for editing the podcast. Please subscribe to the channel if you love our content. I've been your host, Gene. And I was B. Keep being creative, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.